You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. If you have your Bible this morning, turn to Genesis chapter 26. We continue on today through our series through the book of Genesis as we walk through to see how God has been at work since the beginning of time to redeem you and I from our sin, that God understood and saw our sinfulness, His holiness, the separation because of that, and God sent, uh, was going to send His Son Jesus and has sent His Son Jesus, and we begin to see pictures and signs of this redemptive plan that God put together. We saw at the beginning that God created the world In Genesis 1, we saw in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned, and so therefore we as humanity, we are cursed by sin. Then we we saw God begin to put a plan in place. He even hinted to Adam and Eve about that plan, that there was going to be a rescuer that was going to come, that was going to bring freedom and salvation from sin to all of mankind. We saw then God begin to work through a specific family, a man and his specific family, Abraham. We saw the promises that God made Abraham. God told, we'll talk about a little bit more of that, about this in a, just a few moments, but God told Abraham that through his family, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We saw signs of that. We saw how God uh, sent and said, uh, sent a promised son to Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and their old age, Isaac. Then we saw last week, God test Abraham's faith and to sacrifice Isaac, but instead of sacrificing his only son Isaac, a replacement sacrifice, a substitute sacrifice, was provided in a ram. And we we saw last week that is a picture of what Jesus was going to come and do, that Jesus was going to come and be our substitute uh, on, on the cross to sacrifice for our sins. Today we're going to see here in Genesis 26... We're going to see a little bit more now about Isaac. Remember, God had told Abraham that through his family, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Now, this was going to play out over thousands of years. And so God God is going to work even through Isaac. Now, it's kind of interesting. Isn't it interesting? It's just kind of, I guess, human nature that as things get passed down through generations, things can begin to get forgotten, right? Different traditions or family history or whatever else can get forgotten as time goes on. Well, today we're going to see that God is going to reaffirm his covenant he made with Abraham, with Isaac. God's going to reaffirm that covenant. Now, remember, we've said this throughout our series, that covenants are the backbone of the Bible, that God works throughout through covenants, making promises to his people. God made a covenant with Adam and Eve that a rescuer was going to come, that a Messiah was going to come and crush the head of Satan and provide salvation. We saw God make a covenant with Noah and his family. After the God poured out his wrath and judgment upon the earth through a flood, that God promised that he would never destroy the earth again, and he gave a sign of that covenant with a rainbow. God made a covenant with Abraham, and now God's going to reaffirm that covenant with Isaac. Remember, as we talk about a covenant, it is a promise, yes, but it's almost a step 
further than a promise. There is a legal binding within a contract, within a covenant, almost like a contract. And so we see that God is going to operate operates through covenants throughout the Old Testament, and He's going to reaffirm this covenant with Isaac. So if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 26. We'll start reading in verse 1, and it says this. There was another famine in the land, in addition to the one that had occurred in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines at Gerar. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land that I tell you about. Stay in this land as an alien, and I will be with you and bless you. For I will give all these lands to you and your offspring, and I will confirm the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. Now remember, Isaac is this promised son. Abraham and his wife Sarah had grew, grew old in age. She was not able to physically have children, and so God works a miracle, and Isaac is born of his uh, of his mother Sarah and Abraham, his father. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. That's pretty unusual. So here's this promised son, Isaac. There's a famine in, in, in the land. And what had happened in the life of Isaac, we saw him as the that was the possible sacrifice that Abraham was going to sacrifice. God prov- provides the substitute and the ram. But then in Genesis 24, we see that God provides a wife for Isaac in Rebekah. In Genesis 25, Abraham has died. And then Isaac has twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And in that family, because of these twin boys, there begins to be some dysfunction. Well, here, Isaac, in their life, there was a famine. And Isaac did the natural thing to do when there was a famine. When there's a famine and there's a lack of food, what is the common, what is the common thing to do? What's the common sense thing to do? Go find food, right? So Isaac's thinking, I'm going to leave this land and I'm going to go find food. Well, before he does this, God appears to Isaac and tells him not to go to Egypt, but to stay where he was. Now, again, God continually, with this family and Abraham and Isaac, God continues to test this family's faith. Remember, in Genesis 12, God, when we're first introduced to Abraham, God tells Abraham to leave the land of his father, to leave everything he's known behind, and to move to a land that he would show him, a promised land. So Abraham takes that step of faith. We see then, and we saw last week in Genesis 22, God asked Abraham to take a step of his son. I know I'm probably sounding like a broken record, but every time God is about to do something big in the life of his people, he asks him to trust him, to take that step of faith. 
And so we see this even happening in the life of Isaac. Isaac is married to Rebekah. He's got twin boys. There's a famine in the land. And as a naturally a father would do, he's trying to provide food for his family. He's going to move apparently to Egypt, but God tells him to stay, to stay in this land as an alien. And he said, I'll be with you and bless you. For I will give all these lands to you and your offspring and, and will confirm the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. And so in this moment of Isaac, of, in Isaac's life of uncertainty, God tells him the same promise that God had told his father Abraham. He tells Isaac here in Genesis 26, I will give all these lands to you to you to you and your offspring. God told the exact same thing to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 7. God told Abraham, to your offspring, I will give this land. In Genesis 15, 7, God told Abraham, he brought him and he said, I will, you will possess this land. So God repeats this promise to to Isaac. And even in this uncertain moment in the life of Isaac, God reminds him of the covenant. God reminds him of the promise that he made to Abraham. And so when God calls us to make a step of faith, God has, God reaffirms and confirms to us his promise. So as God is going to do something big, if God's going to do something big in our lives and God calls us to take that step of faith to trust him, we can be affirmed and understand of God's promises. But let's keep going in verse 4. He said, God is talking to Isaac. God says, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky. I will give your offspring all these lands, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. Because Abraham listened to me and kept my mandate, my commands, my statutes, and my instructions. So God repeats, he reaffirms to Isaac the promise, the covenant that he made to his Father Abraham. In fact, God uses the exact same phrasing and words to Isaac. He said, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky. See, God in Genesis 22 told Abraham the exact same thing. In Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, turn over back over there with me. I want you to see this again. Covenant is the backbone of the Bible. Turn over to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. God tells Abraham, he, the Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Exact same promise God makes to Isaac in Genesis 26. Now flip over to Genesis 15.5. He, God, took him, Abraham, he took him outside and said, look at the sky, count the stars if you're able to count them. He said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. And then finally turn over to Genesis 22, 18. 
God tells Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. And so then we come back around to Genesis 26, and we see that God tells Isaac the exact same thing. I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky. I will give your offspring all these lands, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. God makes a promise to Isaac in this moment of uncertainty. God reminds him of his promise that you're not going to die. And here is why God could could not let Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau die of starvation. Pretty easy softball question. Why couldn't God allow them to die in the famine? Because God had made this promise. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Your offspring will be as numerous as the sky. Your offspring will possess this land. And so if they had died in a famine of starvation, God would not have come through on his promise. So in this moment of famine, God does not promise Isaac food. He promises him a spiritual blessing and covenant that he had made with his father Abraham. God is saying the covenant I made with your father Abraham is the same covenant I have made with you. So I will keep you alive because God has to keep his covenant. God has to keep his promise. And in verse 5, he says, I'm going to do all this because Abraham listened to me and kept my mandate, my commands, my statutes, and my instructions. Now, I want us to talk about this for just a moment. If we're not careful, we could take verse 5 and turn verse 5 into a moralistic theology. You say, Adam, what in the world is moralistic theology? The idea of moralistic theology is if I'm good, God will bless me. How many of you have ever thought that before? Okay, be honest. If I'm good, God will bless me. Or if I will give money, God will bless me. I mean, there's quite a racket on TV for that. If you, or if I'm just really good, God will bless me. We think like that. And when we think in a moralistic theology way, we're really honestly making God nothing more than Santa Claus, right? Because what's the whole idea behind Santa Claus? And I don't want to ruin anything about Christmas, but like I won't go into if Santa Claus is real or not. Kids, you can talk to your mom and dad about that. I'm not, Pastor Adam's not going to ruin that for you, okay? But Santa Claus, what's the idea of Santa Claus? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. That is moralistic theology. And a lot of times we treat God no different than Santa Claus. If I'm good, God will bless me. Or if we think, you know what, I've gotten sick, I'm having this, fi- this physical issue, I'm having this financial issue, maybe I've sinned and made God mad. See, God, in verse 5, he says, Because Abraham listened to me and kept my mandate, my commands, my statutes, and my instructions, so he will be blessed. It's not because Abraham was good. In fact, Abraham has a tendency to lie, had a tendency to lie. 
Two times in Genesis, we haven't had time to go through it as a faith family, but two times Abraham had lied about who his wife was. We saw in Genesis 16 that Abraham went into Sarah's handmaiden because they weren't, Abraham and Sarah weren't trusting God, and he went in and had a child with her and named him Ishmael. Abraham had a tendency, yes, he trusted God, but he also had a tendency to not trust God. So Abraham was just as sinful and as depraved as you and I, so it wasn't based on anything good that he had done. Why had Abraham listened to God, kept his commands, and obeyed him? It's because there had been an inner working in the life of Abraham. Abraham believed God and God, and it said, as Roxanne read to us out of Romans, that it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. So because Abraham believed God, God did an inner working and a miracle in the life of Abraham to where he could obey him. And the same thing, Isaac, is in the life of Isaac. Have you ever heard the phrase, some things never fall, uh, the, 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 the apple doesn't fall, fall far from the tree? Same thing in the life of Isaac. Isaac doesn't deserve God's blessing. Isaac is a sinner just like you and me. And so God doesn't bless this family because they do good things. In fact, let's go down to verse 7 and let's see what happens. Right after God reaffirms this covenant with Isaac, look what happens. Verse 7, when the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say, my wife, thinking the men of the place will kill me on the account of Rebekah, for she's a beautiful woman. When Isaac had been there for some time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from the window and was surprised to see Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. Abimelech sent for Isaac and said, so she is really your wife. How could you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might die on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people could have easily have slept with your wife and would have been brought guilt on us. So Abimelech warned all the people, whoever harms this man or his wife will certainly be put to death. You see, Abraham had done the exact same thing. Because in Genesis chapter 20, Abraham lied about who Sarah was and said, that she's my sister. He did it again in Genesis Genesis 17, he did it again. He lies about who, or uh, uh, 14, lies about who his uh, wife is so the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And so Isaac lies about who his wife is and deceives the Philistines on who his wife is. And so even in this moment after God has reaffirmed the covenant with Isaac, Isaac still does not trust God and lies. We see his depravity. And we see that God's covenant and God's promise with his people is not based on their morality. It's based on who he is and what he's going to do in their life. And so faith family today, what I want us to walk away with and understand is that God keeps his covenant and promises to us not based on what we do or not do, but based on who he is and what he has done. 
See, God makes a promise to us, His covenant people, the church today. There will be times when we are filled with doubt. There are going to be times when we are going to be filled with fear. There are going to be times when we are going to be filled with uncertainty and life will be uncertain. There are going to be times where we are going to question, is God really good? But God has made a promise to us, His covenant people, church today, the church today. He said in 1 Corinthians 1, 6-9, In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You are called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that we will not lack any spiritual gift and that, he got, that we will be strengthened in Christ. We will be blameless in the day before Jesus Christ. So we are a guilty people, but Paul says based on the promise and covenant of God, of God that he has made with us the church that we will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will be we will be declared innocent. It's also said in 1 Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God tells us, his covenant people, the church, that he will not abandon us. But we will be able to endure it. Not because of our willpower or our strength, but because he is faithful. In the last part of this covenant that God makes with the church, I want you to see this in Hebrews chapter 10. Turn there with me and then we're, we're done. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Boy, the he- book of Hebrews is really good. If you've not taken the time to study the book of Hebrews, I would encourage you to do so because it's going to help the Old Testament make a lot of sense. So I encourage you to read through the book of Hebrews. It's not a quick, easy read, but I encourage you to read it because it's going to help tie a lot of things together that we just can't tie in in just a few minutes. So look at Hebrews chapter 10 and look at verse 1. It says, Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any conscience of sin? But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. After he says above, you did not desire delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. 
He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Now let's stop there. Have you ever wondered why sacrifices in the Old Testament were stopped? Because Jesus was sacrificed and he's better. He's better than any bull or goat or lamb. And we are sanctified. We are made holy. We are made pure through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Let's keep going. Verse 11. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. footstool. Does Genesis 3 come to mind? He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one also are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For he says, this is the, what's the word? Covenant. I will make with them, who's them? The church. After those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Praise God. Hebrews 10 is packed full of covenant for us, the church. Because we have been made sanctified, verse 10, we have been made sanctified through the offering the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We are made perfect. We are made clean. That's a fancy word for sanctification. We are made clean. We are made pure. We are made like Jesus through his offering on the cross. And then God says, I will never again, verse 17, I will never again remember their acts. And their lawless, their, I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now that where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer an offering of sin. So we as this church are offered the promise, the covenant of our sins are remembered no more. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, though you may have committed all kinds of sins, all kinds of lawless acts, our sins are forgiven, not based on anything that we can do, but only what Jesus could do on the cross, that sacrifice once and for all, and there's no longer the need for an offering for sin because Jesus has paid it all. Praise God for that covenant he makes with us. Pray with me. God, we just thank you for this intricate plan that you have put together. We thank you for putting this plan through the family of Abraham and Isaac and how even in their brokenness and sinfulness, you were still faithful to them and that you stayed true to your covenant and to your promise. And now we today are the beneficiaries of it. And now we are your family. We are your people. We are your bride. We are your church. 
And we thank you and praise you for that. God, I pray if there's anyone here that has never come to know Christ as their sacrifice and their offering for their sin, I pray today you would open their eyes to their need of not trying to be good or trying to fill the void in their life with anything else but with Christ. Holy Spirit, call them to, call them to yourself. And then, God, I pray for us as your church. I pray, God, in those moments of uncertainty, of doubt, and when we're tempted to really ask ourselves, are you really good? I pray, Holy Spirit, you would just reaffirm the covenant that you have made with us. We thank you that you are our people, that we are your people, and that you have that you have provided a sacrifice for us once and for all, and that you remember our sins no more. We praise you and thank you for all these things. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com.